Hello and welcome to Paul Martin's Catholic Podcast. I'm Paul Martin. I used to be a lay preacher in the Presbyterian, then Pentecostal churches. After studying the Bible and church history afresh, I converted to Catholicism. Today, I'm talking about great films for Catholics to watch. Now, I've done a previous podcast, which is podcast number 54, which was part one of great films for Catholics to watch. And as time went on and I got other recommendations from people, I've got another list of great films for Catholics to watch. Isn't that awesome? So here's 12 great films. The first one is Judith of Bethulia. And Judith of Bethulia is a 1914 film. So it's a very old film. It's more than a century old. But it's a great film. It's, a, it's from the silent film era. The reason I like it is because, as far as I'm aware, it's the only top feature film that's ever been made on the book of Judith and the book of Judith is a book of the Catholic Bible and I think we ought to celebrate these books I'd love to see more films made about the Deuterocanonicals I've made a couple of short films about them myself at Paul Martin's Fine Films on YouTube but I'd love to see some top feature films made on the Maccabees. I know Mel Gibson was once planning to do that, but I don't think it ever came to fruition. So Judith of Bethulia is a great film. The next one is The Crusades, and it's 1935. And The Crusades is a great film. It's by Cecil B. DeMille, who did The Ten Commandments and lots of other epic films. And the reason I love it is because it's free from any political correctness. It shows the Crusaders for what they were, devout Christians defending their lands from Islamic aggression and invasion. And the Crusades were not colonisation or aggression... They were a response to 400 years of Islamic Jihad, where they had raided, invaded and enslaved and devastated Europe. And they'd taken over all of North Africa and uh, exterminated the Christian church or greatly reduced and subjugated it. And they were fighting a relentless, never-ending war against the Christians. And so the Crusades put the Muslims on the defensive and they also protected Christian holy sites. And they also increased learning of Christians and they also helped Christians learn a lot about tending wounds due to having so many battles and protecting their lands. So overall it was a Europe at the time was the third world. They were the nation 
being bullied by the superpowers, which were the Islamic empires. And so this film is a very hard-to-come-by film, but it's a, a very good film. The next one is about another crusader. You could call her that, although technically she isn't classified as that. But that's Joan of Arc. And it's the 1999 film. There are actually two films called Joan of Arc. One has Mila Jovovich, but the one I'm referring to is the one that stars Lily Sobieski. Between those two films, if you see one, you don't really need to see the other. They're that similar. However, the one with Lily Sobieski seems to be more respectful to her faith and her Catholicism. The one with Mila Jovovich shows her as a bit crazy and the Jesus she sees in visions looks a bit bizarre and, and weird. But maybe that's just my opinion. I've watched both films and I like the one with Lily Sobieski a lot more. But uh, other people might have different tastes. The next film is a very hard-to-come-by film, and I haven't seen it recently, but I did watch it many, many years ago when I was a teenager, and it was aired on television in South Africa. And that's called The Assisi Underground, 1985 film, and it's set in 1943, when the Catholic Church in the Vatican was very actively helping Jews escape from Nazi persecution. So while Pope Pius is often uh, very unjustly called a Nazi Pope when he did everything he could to resist the Nazis, this, is a, this film is a breath, breath of fresh air in showing the many heroic Catholics who helped resist the tyranny of the Nazis. And now we come to a film that some people may not like my inclusion of, and it is a horror film, but I found it inspirational and it seemed very Catholic to me many years ago when I first watched it, and that's A Nightmare on Elm Street, Free, Dream Warriors. So they did a whole series of those films with Freddy Krueger, who kills people through these nightmares. But in particular, I liked The Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, number three, because the third installation has the origins of Freddy Krueger, and it says that he's the son of 200 bastard maniacs who molested a woman called Amanda Krueger, who became the mother of Freddy Krueger. And the police and the people who are investigating these killings, one of them comes across a nun. And the nun helps them get rid of Freddy Krueger. At the end of the film, 
the teenagers hold up their crucifixes which burn uh, a hole in his head and cast him into the lake of fire. And at the end of the film, the policeman, the investigator, finds out that the nun he met is actually deceased and she's Freddy Krueger's mother. And after her horrific experience, she became a nun and then died and then her soul was able to intercede and help them overcome the boogeyman, Freddy Krueger. The next film, again, will probably offend some people just for its inclusion, but I found it a very thought-provoking film. Perhaps the book is even more thought-provoking than the film, and that is A Clockwork Orange. It was a novel written by Anthony Burgess, and Stanley Kubrick turned it into a film. It was made in 1971, and it stars Malcolm McDowell, and it's meant to be set in the future in England under some sort of a totalitarian dictatorship. And the droog, or gangster, his name is Alex, is the leader of this gang of four thugs or droogs who go around with these bizarre white clothing and uh, black hats on, terrorising and beating people up and committing rape and home invasions. He's a despicable scoundrel. And after he beats up his own gang members, they betray him and knock him out just as they're leaving a house after committing a murder. And of course, he gets arrested and sent to prison for a long time. And when Alex is in prison, he repents and he converts to Christianity. And so he goes to the, to the chaplain for spiritual guidance and they show him reading the Bible and imagining flogging Christ through his sins. And finally, he gets an opportunity to get out of prison on condition that he goes through this bizarre scientific experiment that will take away his free will. Now, now free will is a great gift that God has given everyone. And he, now as a Christian, loses his free will. He goes through this crazy experiment where they keep his eyes open for long periods of time and brainwash him. And he comes out completely nauseated whenever he thinks of committing anything violent or sexual. And then he gets declared cured, he gets released, and suddenly lots of people get revenge on him. He bashes up an old man at the start of the film and when he gets out, the old man and a group of old homeless people meet him and they beat him up. And because he can't defend himself, he, he just has to take it. And then two police officers turn up and who should they be but one of his former gang members and one of his rival gang members. 
and as soon as they recognise him, they take him away into the bush, beat him up and leave him for dead. And then he stumbles back to a house, and who should it be but the same home where he did a home invasion and rape uh, before his imprisonment. And so they torture him and he jumps out of the house and lands on his head and he's hospitalised. And while he's recovering from his hospitalisation, the government comes in and looks after him on condition that he says that he was treated well and the experimentation was good. And then he, he cynically thinks to himself, I was cured all right. And so he's cured, he has his free will back. And that's where the film ends. However, in the book, which was better than the film, in the book, he goes out of the hospital aware that he has the free will and he still has an inclination to do bad things, but he changes and he suddenly decides that he, he won't do evil. He'll use his free will to do good. And the title, A Clockwork Orange, is an expression for a complete absurdity. If you imagine a, an orange is cut in half and then you look at the inside part of it where it's been cut and imagine adding the dials of a clock to that orange. That's what it means, an absurdity. And the absurdity is referring to Alex who loses his free will. Having said that, it is a film that does have some nudity and violence, so don't watch it if it goes against your conscience. But nevertheless, I found it a very powerful and moving film. Next film is uh, more of a comedy, a light-hearted film and Sister Act. In some ways it's a great film, in other ways it's a terrible film. It is very entertaining. It has a priest and nuns. It's one of the few films where the priest is not vilified or ridiculed or made into some kind of idiot. He's one of the most likeable characters in the film. Basically, it's about a nightclub singer, Whoopi Goldberg, who gets put in witness protection after witnessing a murder. And her witness protection location is a nunnery where she has to pretend to be a nun. I actually found it quite funny because she, she wonders why the church isn't growing. And then she goes, uh, she, she uses her professional singing skills to get them to sing really well and to get a few popular musical songs and put a few Christian lyrics to them or songs that, that could just be, the lyrics could just as easily apply to God and she gets them to sing really well, sing popular music and then before you know it, the church is packed and His Holiness the Pope uh, visits at the end. I actually watched this film when I was a teenager and I was in the Presbyterian church and my dad was a Presbyterian minister. So it really hit a chord with me because we were in a church 
that was also stagnant and dying and had very few people and we also had terrible music and very slow old-fashioned hymns and after watching this film it gave me the impression that if we had uh, drums and electric guitars and loud music then we'd have church growth and people would pour into the church and they'd come in for the wrong reasons but then they'd hear the gospel and they'd get converted and everything would be good. Uh, that of course is rubbish and if people come in just for the good music, uh, when it comes to music that is played in the mainstream secular world, it's a lot better and higher quality than anything you'll get in church. So you're not likely to really attract people with cool music. You might get a few teenagers who think, wow, this is cool, but you'll never be able to compete with the secular mainstream. So it's best that we as Christians will get church growth through prayer rather than through cool music. So it is a highly flawed film, as long as you don't go away with that silly message, but I like it because it's one of the few films that doesn't ridicule and rubbish the Catholic Church and our priests. Um, now we come to another, and, and that's Sister Act, made in 1992. They did make a sequel. I didn't think it was very exciting or interesting at all, but there you have it. Some people, I'm sure, like it. The next film we come to is more of a melodrama, Sleepers. And Sleepers was a film with an all-star cast. It had Kevin Bacon, Robert De Niro, Dustin Hoffman, Brad Pitt, and Minnie Driver. And it's basically about four Catholic boys in the Irish-Italian community of New York in the late 1960s where a lot of dysfunctional people live and a lot of crime and the mafia are and they decide to play a stupid prank on a hot dog vendor. One of the boys pretends to buy the hot dog then he runs off with it without paying. The owner rushes off after him and then while he's run off the three boys grab his uh, hot dog stand which has wheels and they push it down a down a flight of stairs at a train station and it crashes into a, a man who's who's coming out I can't remember if he gets killed or very seriously injured I think he just gets very seriously injured and the four boys get sent to prison to juvenile detention uh, Robert De Niro is their beloved priest who, again, like Sister Act, it's one of the few films where the priest is not vilified or ridiculed. He's a macho man and he's a, a caring man. And he visits them while they're in prison. And while they're in the juvenile prison, the four boys get sexually abused by these homosexual prison wardens and not just sexually abused, they get violently physically abused and terrorised and uh, traumatised. 
and they get beaten within an inch of their lives. Once they get out of prison, they hatch their plan of revenge in, in which they, they wait for it. But eventually two of the, the younger two boys who have turned into gangsters, it skips from 1969 then to 1981, and these two younger boys who are now gangsters meet one of their tormentors in a restaurant. And at first he's smug and arrogant, then they pull out a gun and kill him. And then they get arrested, they go to jail and they're charged. So one of the other boys pretends to be the prosecution and they get an alcoholic, incompetent guy to be their defence lawyer. And then they persuade the priest, Robert De Niro, to perjure himself, to give the boys an alibi. So that's a flaw in the film, is that the priest commits a very ungodly act of perjury, but he does it when they tell him the whole story of what happened. Nevertheless, it's a refreshing portrayal of a priest as uh, in a better light than how they're often portrayed. And it's a powerful film. And it also shows their tormentors in juvenile detention are uh, these four guys who hate Catholics. And the, one of the main characters gets his strength from praying the rosary. The next film on the list is Primal Fear and that stars Richard Gere as a lawyer and Edward Norton as the accused and there's this popular well-beloved archbishop who gets murdered and Edward Norton is charged with his murder and Richard Gere, who's the lawyer, wants to uh, defend this guy. And so he accuses the archbishop of having been a pedophile and of sexually abusing him. So you think, oh yeah, it's another one of these betrayals of uh, evil priests as pedophiles. Even though in reality it's a small minority of about 1% or 2%. In fact, studies have shown there's a higher level of school teachers that have molested kids or been accused of it than Catholic priests. But I won't go off topic. But as the film progresses, you start to realise that the Archbishop was the victim of a conspiracy by property developers and that the person who killed him was a psychopath. And so it has a, a kind of twist at the end that I thought was very satisfying. Now we come to a 2002 film called Signs, and it stars Mel Gibson. It was directed by Night Shyamalan. And Mel Gibson acts as a priest, uh, an Episcopalian priest in this film, who's been widowed whose wife had died, and after his wife died, he loses faith in God, and he just abandons it. 
And then these aliens start attacking Earth and bringing all these crop circles. And after the aliens are defeated, his faith in God is restored. And it ends with him back in the priesthood, with a crucifix back up on his wall, which he'd previously taken down. And then there's another film, a great film called Gran Torino with Clint Eastwood. It's one of my favourite films of all time on so many levels. And it begins with Clint Eastwood. He's this uh, sort of embittered, hardened, ultra-masculine man whose wife has died. And she, his wife's a devout Catholic. He's not at all. And so... Clint Eastwood's son and daughter-in-law and grandchildren, his granddaughter and grandson, rock up to the funeral and they're very disrespectful and sort of fake casual people, much to the incredible annoyance of Clint Eastwood. And they don't respect him and they don't want to really spend much time with him. And Clint Eastwood, his character, is living next door to these Hmong people, H-M-O-N-G. And good on him for making this film, which was a, a film that brought attention to the Hmong people. And this whole extended family moves next door to him. He lives in this rundown ghetto. Walt Kowalski, his character is called in the film and Mr Kowalski eventually befriends them one of the boys tries to steal his Grand Torino car but he ends up uh, offering to work for free for him for a while and eventually he becomes good friends with their family and then he, he, he realises he's dying of cancer, so he goes to the Catholic priest and confesses his sins and he gets absolution and he writes his will. And then he, he gets these gangsters thrown in jail in an heroic way. And after he's died, they have his funeral and then you see his superficial, disconnected family along with his Hmong neighbours and a few friends, to hear out the will. And I thought that was the most priceless part in the whole film, where he, he gives the, the house away to the church, much to the incredible disappointment on the look of his son's face. And then he gives his grand Torino to the Hmong boy, instead of his granddaughter. And I thought it was a very satisfactory film. It's also a great mentoring film where, where Mr Kowalski or Clint Eastwood teaches the Hmong teenager how to be a man, how to act like a man, how to get a job, how to get a girlfriend. And uh, There's not many films that seem to do that. A lot of films seem to want to emasculate men or ridicule manhood we live in an age where they call masculinity toxic but this is a sort of no holds barred blows it all out of the water 
It's a very encouraging film to see. And now I get to the last film on the list. And how could I not include this film? Unplanned, 2019. It's one of the most powerful films I've ever seen. And I did cry a bit in it. And it's about a evangelical Christian woman. It's an evangelical-made film. And it's a very well-made film, even if you're not a believer, to watch. And she's this Christian woman who doesn't, in principle, agree with abortion, but thinks people should be entitled to have abortion if they want to. And she gets slowly seduced to the dark side and more and more in support of abortion and thinking it's okay. And she ends up getting this job managing a planned parenthood clinic. And then eventually, while these Christians are praying outside the clinic, she witnesses an actual abortion taking place and she runs out of the room and she throws up and all of a sudden her conscience is activated. And that's a very, very brilliant film. And on the opening week, apparently there was about a hundred different women who were going to have abortions and they cancelled them thanks to this film. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this film. Happy entertainment. Thank you and God bless.